Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The lead with Jake Tapper did not air on CNN today. For this podcast episode, we are bringing you an hour of CNN coverage from earlier in the day. Welcome uh, to our special coverage. Uh, I am Jake Tapper. It was a truly historic uh, day today. Uh, and any moment we expect the House Judiciary Committee to return from the break they took and to resume debating the two articles of impeachment that have been drafted against President Donald Trump. One, abuse of power. The second one, obstruction of Congress. Let's start uh, by going to Capitol Hill, where we find CNN senior congressional correspondent Manu Raju. Manu, what do we expect to happen for the rest of the day today? Lay it out for us. Well, a lot more fireworks. We expect Republicans to continue to offer amendments to try to undercut the two articles of impeachment, the article that the Democrats have put forward alleging abuse of power in the president's handling in relations with Ukraine, also alleging obstruction of Congress by not cooperating with the impeachment inquiry. Republicans plan to offer, according to what Doug Collins told me just moments ago, a, quote, good many number of amendments still, and that could take several hours to get through. Ultimately, it will be a decision for Republicans Republicans decide if they're satisfied, if they're essentially tired and want to move on. There's some desire by some folks to go to the White House uh, Christmas uh, congressional ball today where President Trump is attending. And so that could also motivate the things to get things wrapped up before seven o'clock or so. But nevertheless, we do expect uh, the vote, ultimate vote on the article of impeachment, those two articles of impeachment to be taken by the House Judiciary Committee today. That's going to be approved along party lines and sent to the full House where that vote will take place probably by the middle of next week. Now, all also at this moment, Jake, Republican leadership on the floor taking the temperature of their caucus. They are whipping their members to determine to see if they're going to vote against those articles next week. Republican leaders are confident that they're not going to lose any of their members. The one former Republican turned independent, Justin Amash, is expected to vote for those two articles. And on the Democratic side, the leadership there, Nancy Pelosi, is saying she will not whip her members and not pressure them to vote the party line. She said they can vote however they so choose. And we do expect at least two defections on the Democratic side when it comes to the full House vote next week. Maybe a couple more. A lot of number of moderates are still holding their cards close to their vest. But truly, a historic moment going to happen in just a matter of hours here in the House Judiciary Committee can advance those two articles of impeachment to the floor for next week's consideration, James. Amanda, you say that the House Democrats, House Speaker Pelosi, they're not whipping their members, meaning that they're not uh, telling them how to vote and also just assessing what, what their, where their votes are. Do they know, are they confident that the votes are there to impeach President Trump in the, among the Democratic caucus. There is confidence from the Democratic leadership for sure that they need a majority of votes, and that's expected to be that threshold. It's actually to be 216 votes on the floor because of some vacancies. It's now 216 votes, and they do expect they'll be able to meet that threshold. Now, they do expect that there will be those defections, like I mentioned. So it could be two, it could be four, five, or six. 
a lot depends on some of these members from Trump districts, Jake, when they go back home this weekend, starting today, they're done voting after today until the next week. What do they hear from their constituents? Do they decide to vote against those articles of impeachment? That's going to be a key test for some of those members, particularly freshmen from those swing districts, Jake. All right, Manu Raju on Capitol Hill. Uh, and you heard that. And of course, the big headline, uh, Jeff Tubin, there is the Democrats have the votes to impeach President Trump. And that is monumental. This is only the fourth time in the history of this nation that that will have happened. And and that in and of itself is just, you know, that is it is going to this this the impeachment articles will be read um, by historians um, forever. But, you know, the timing of it that that really jumps out at me is that in the first 200 years of our country, we had one impeachment. Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson, right after the Civil War. And now we've had three in the last 45 years. I think that is indicative of the toxicity of our politics and how angry and combative our politics have become um, in, in, that, in, in that period. Um, that doesn't mean the impeachments are wrong, uh, but it does mean that um, the, the stakes of disagreements with Congress keep going up. Uh, uh, Dana Bash, uh, tell us your impression of the hearing so far. I, I have not heard, I've heard a lot of things said uh, in defense of the president that are just not factually correct. For instance, the, the idea that the Ukrainians had no idea that there was an issue with the military aid being held up. That's in direct contradiction to a testimony we heard from a Pentagon official who mm-hmm. said that the, yeah, that, the U- that the Ukrainian embassy had reached out on July 25th, the very day of the phone call. That's right. And there were other, there's other testimony from, uh, from people who were in Ukraine that it, it was even earlier. So you're right about that. But what was noteworthy, and we were discussing uh, some of this earlier, is that after all this time of Republicans talking process, 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 finally, at the 11th hour, you did hear some Republicans, the president's closest uh, and staunchest defenders, like Jim Jordan, start to talk a little bit about the sub- substance of the transcript of the summary phone call and parsing it. So pushing back a little bit, just even on the notion that the president was asking for an investigation or what kind of investigation that he was asking for. We haven't heard any of that you know, in, in, on a large scale. And finally, right now, they, they were doing that. It's, and the argument was, uh, he was saying, do it for us, America, not do us a favor. Do us a favor. Which is what the president actually tweeted earlier today. And so it's like, I don't know, Dave, maybe you know this. There was suddenly a eureka moment after this sentence has been out there for, you know, for three months that they can finally figure out a way to discuss it. But why wait until, never mind whether that's accurate or not, but just on the strategy, why wait till now? John King, just on the history of this, uh, this is the second impeachment of a U.S. president uh, that you have covered as a journalist. Um, It's pretty momentous, and it's easy to get lost in the sniping and the partisan attacks. And and, uh, we heard some personal attacks against Hunter Biden uh, earlier from Congressman Matt Gaetz, one of the president's biggest Mm -hmm. supporters. Um, but really, this is this will be a stain on the Trump presidency w- one way or another. Yes. And I remember in the Clinton White House days where there were people, including the president, telling his aides, we can turn this to our, our advantage politically. That's one thing. President Trump is trying to find ways to turn this to advantage politically. But that does not mean that a president wants to be impeached to turn it to his benefit politically. That's the president trying to make the best of a horrible, terrible, historic situation. 
uh, it is a stain on your presidency. It was a stain on the Clinton presidency. Uh, any Democrat who was involved at the time, think about the time when Bill Clinton was president, a booming economy, uh, a president who said he was going to try to do things that we're still talking about now 25 years later, reform Social Security, reform Medicare, reform the immigration system. None of that happened. None of that happened. So he because did balance the budget. He did, well, he, he had a great economy, but that was it. The, the moment for any president, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, to be president at that moment when the government was actually running an operational surplus to deal with the other stru big structural problems, none of it happened in the second Clinton term. Right. Uh, I always joke when Senator Santorum is here, Bill Clinton and Senator Santorum went around the country doing town halls <laughs> on Social Security reform because there was actually a bipartisan effort to get things done. It just was flushed by the impeachment because it made Bill Clinton raw and angry at the Republicans. It made him want retribution. Uh, and you see very much the same thing now in President Trump. Uh, we thought at the time in the Clinton days that this town had just become impossibly partisan and impossibly polarized. Uh, it seems like a quaint little small town America to think back 21 <laughs> years to where we are today. One of the things, uh, one of the arguments being made by Republicans, Laura, is that uh, there's no crime that President Trump committed or Democrats are pointing out accurately that the Constitution doesn't actually require a crime for impeachment, even with the mention of high crimes and misdemeanors. There was an interesting moment where Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California, talked about how he was a former prosecutor, how he saw it, how there were potential crimes uh, in there. As a prosecutor, what did, what did you think of the case he laid out? Well, it was actually a good one and very persuasive because it talks about the elements, essentially. I know in high crimes and misdemeanors, the notion of there's no exact and precise measurement or requirement or recipe to figure out what it would constitute. But if you're actually trying to show the American people and lead them through the idea of what constitutes an abuse of power, what was at stake, looping in the contextual clues of the founding fathers and what they actually wanted to accomplish and why an abuse of power and foreign interference in a nation that had a declaration of independence would be important. It's persuasive, but they still have not hammered home enough this point. It's like the Godfather scene where Michael Corleone says no one should go against the family ever. Congress has to persuade the American people and one another the notion that if Congress is the family, you are going against your own interests by allowing somebody to siphon your power away to the executive branch of government. If the executive branch of government can essentially say, you don't matter, and whatever you tell me for a congressional subpoena just doesn't have any weight, then I have given over the separation of powers argument. And they still continue to focus on, essentially, as last night you saw, their personal journeys to becoming congressmen and women. And that's important from their own perspective for the, their own jurisdictions. But you're trying to persuade a people about which articles of impeachment have the most impact on the future of democracy, mm -hmm. you got to hammer the point home that it's now, it's because of an election, and it's because if our power is to mean anything in the future, we have to unify to figure out who is trying to undermine but, it. But, Laura, wasn't it Vito Corleone who says that? <laughs> I, it I is Well, it's, it's, more, it's talking about Fredo with Mo in, in the casino right. in Las Vegas. We'll go there. <laughs> no, no. We'll go there, too. We'll go there. I thought it was the Don't mess with the family that's on this panel. I just want you to say the family like Harlan Jen Psaki, your general impression of the case that the Democrats are making, how do you think they're doing? Some better than others, um, you know, <laughs> to be honest. Who has impressed you? Uh, uh, you know, I think there were a couple of interesting moments. Zoe Lofgren, actually, given her history on impeachment and her being able to reframe what the Clinton impeachment was actually about, one point I think more Democrats could make is, look, many of your, maybe not some of the, the Republicans here today, but many past Republicans voted to impeach President Clinton, as she said, over sex, right? This is much more serious. This is over the national interest of the United States. 
Um, I thought the back and forth with Hank Johnson and Matt Gates was actually interesting um, when he had the moment kind of almost of silence to let Republicans speak up and why, uh, whether they thought it should be precedent that a future president should be able to seek political dirt on on their opponent. Uh, You know, that stuck with me. Whether it sticks with the American people, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, what happened today was uh, these members were trying to make the case so that they can support their vote at the Mm -hmm. end of the day and go home to their districts. That's what we were seeing. That's why it wasn't as unified as some of the messages we've seen in the past, because they know their districts. They know what people need to hear. Uh, I think what will be interesting to see is what we hear from some of the moderate Democrats on Monday and Tuesday after they've gone back. They've spoken to people in their district. I think they know where they're going to vote, but they want to hear from people and they want to be able to come back and say, I made the case that I need to put country before my own political future, my own political gain. I heard from my constituents. <laughs> I also uh, want to protect our, the election in the future. This isn't about overturning the election of the past. I think that's what we'll hear from some of them, and, and that's more interesting to me than, than kind of what some of the members had to say today. And David Urban, how do you think the Republicans are doing? Look, I think that everyone's, that both sides, both teams are doing what they need to do for their team, right? That's what's, that's what's going on here. There's, th- th- this is the you know, act three in the play, right? So we all kind of know we have the cliff notes. We can read ahead and see how it's going to end. So I think everyone's doing what they need to do. I don't think, uh, I, I think Jen's correct in that, uh, you know, people are making their case so they can go home and, 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 and kind of make it further. It'll be interesting to hear what Max Rose and, and folks like that say when they come back. Um, you know, there's not, uh, not a lot of, um, you know, people in swing districts on this committee. So nobody's really, you know, kind of weighing the equities like they would have to and uh, these these 31 folks in these swing districts. And uh, so, so we'll see, though, I think that's the really interesting part when those folks come back and stand in the well of the Senate and they talk about, excuse me, the well of the House and, and, they, and they make their statement and speech about why they're going to vote the way they do. You, so you make a really interesting point about the committee. Mm-hmm. And this was true in, in 1998 as well. That, you know, different kinds of representatives are attracted to different committees. If you are someone who really cares about bringing home the bacon to your district, uh, you're going to go on the Appropriations Committee. Or if you care about tax policy, you're going to go on Ways and Means. Judiciary (laughs) is always attracted the idealized, the people who are the most strongly partisan. The performers. The the performers. And, you know, thinking back to 98, which we covered, I mean, you had Barney Frank and you had Bob Barr, the Republican. Lindsey Graham. (laughs) Maxine Waters was then on the committee. I mean, you, you had, you know, real colorful personalities, as you still do. But but that doesn't necessarily tell you how the moderates in the party are are, are uh, thinking. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about any moment. The House Judiciary Committee will pick back up and continue debating these two articles of impeachment against President Trump. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. We're back with our special coverage. The House Judiciary Committee today could approve articles of impeachment against President Trump. That would be only the fourth time in U.S. history that has happened against a U.S. president. The committee will resume debate over the two articles against President Trump any minute. We'll bring that to you live. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, let's continue our conversation. Um, John King, how quickly do you think we're going to get a vote on impeachment on the whole for the whole floor of the House, on the floor of the House, as opposed to just the committee vote? Assuming this does not go off the rails with amendment after amendment after amendment and they finish tonight, then we're going to see that early to the middle of next week. The House of Representatives is going to impeach the president of the United States. The math is there. The only question is how many Democrats defect. Uh, Right now, it appears it'll be zero Republicans. So the president of the United States will be impeached by the House of Representatives 
most likely by the middle of next week. Dana, does it actually help? Like, for instance, if you're if you're a, a Democrat in one of these swing districts, mm-hmm. um, say Congresswoman Lucy McMath, who was actually on the Judiciary Committee yeah. and in a swing district, um, if you vote against the articles of impeachment, does might that actually help you get reelected in a, in a swing district, assuming it's a Trump district, or is it really just a, a crapshoot? Uh, it's a crapshoot yeah. because you could also anger the, the, the biggest political risk is that even if you are in a sing, swing district and you really appeal to independents and some Republicans, you still need your base to come out for you because they're the core of your voters. And if they're mad at you because you vote no on an impeachment, on two articles of impeachment or even one against a president who they think should be impeached, uh, then they're going to sit home. Or they're going to go to the ballot and they're going to vote for the top of the ticket and just as a protest, not vote for you. So it's a very big risk. And Michael Bloomberg just said he's putting up $10 million to support members of, of uh, the Democratic <laughs> majority who um, will vote, vote for impeachment in battle, in battle Democrats. And putting aside Bloomberg, fundraising is an issue. I mean, you raise your money from your base. You don't raise money from people who are on the fence. And if you are a Democrat who votes against impeachment, you could have serious fundraising problems. The, the, and, the, and the other thing, of course, is that you might have a primary. Uh, yeah. Congressman Van Drew point. from Southern Jersey, the that's part of New important. Jersey that's very agricultural, very, uh, very red. I think it's a plus five, Republican plus five, went for Trump. Um, Congressman Van Drew might face a primary opponent uh, for the Democratic nomination for the seat he holds. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, this is uh, what we have seen for, for 10 years play out on the Republican side. If you don't, uh, members of Congress who uh, didn't, you know, didn't pledge fealty to the party and voted their conscience or voted in a way that angered the Republicans, they got a primary. We're seeing that more and more with Democrats, and that's a great point. It could happen. And we'll, we'll watch these Democrats, and they are the story right now. There are 31 House Democrats. Mm-hmm. The president carried the districts. There were 90 when Bill Clinton was president. There were 90 Republicans. The number of House members who are from the uh, president of the other party, that's just shrunk. And so it yeah. becomes about your base. It's just to the point is, there's just so few of these districts now, you have to keep your base. I was just going to say, as John pointed out, you know, of those 31, I don't know how many are like Connor Lamb who ran on I'm not voting for Pelosi for speaker. I'm going to be independent. I'm going to be a, a, a work with the president. Right. If he goes out and votes for impeachment, hard to run. Yeah. Still, as they say, the, the votes are to impeach. And that's what we're suspecting. You know, that's in all likelihood what's going to happen next week uh, that the, the Democratic controlled Congress will vote to impeach President Trump. I want to bring in CNN's Caitlin Collins at the White House for us right now. Caitlin, tell us uh, what you're learning uh, about what's going on when it comes to the White House and, and uh, Capitol Hill. Yeah, a notable development that just happened. The White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, was just seen in the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's office over on Capitol Hill. Of course, while they're taking this break from this hearing over there in the House, going back and forth on these amendments. And the reason that's interesting, though we do not know the official reason for this visit that the White House counsel is paying to the Senate Majority Leader, someone he's spoken with often throughout this impeachment process. But, Jake, it's notable because it comes after that CNN reporting about that divide between what the White House and the president specifically was looking for in a Senate trial and what people like the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell were saying privately was going to happen. That divide mainly came down to live witnesses, witnesses in person testifying or not. That is something that we had reported on, a difference between the two of them over how they were going to essentially come to an agreement on that. And someone who's been playing a key role in all of this is, of course, Pat Cipollone, who has been really the person between the president and McConnell, though they also speak often. He's really been the person speaking with a lot of these senators and House members over on 
Capitol Hill about this, negotiating, talking about the White House's messages, making sure they're all essentially on the same page. And right now he's over in the Senate Majority Leader's office again, Jake. All right, Kaylin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, and let's talk about that. Jen Psaki, so you have this divide right now uh, between the White House, which wants a spectacle. They want a Senate trial in which witnesses are called, in which they can bring up uh, Joe Biden, et cetera, uh, versus Mitch McConnell, who it looks as though reporting indicates that he wants a, a small process that he considers this idea of Democrats and Republicans calling witnesses mutually assured destruction, that they're just going to blow up the Senate. The Senate has a lot of pride. They do not think of themselves as the House of Representatives. They think of themselves as more serious, sober individuals. Who wins that fight, do you think? Look, I think if it's the Republicans' interest for Mitch McConnell to win that fight, because he's ultimately thinking about how to get through this quickly and survive. They're not going to lose 20 Republicans from the Republican side. So, yes, President Trump will be impeached in the House. He's not going to be convicted in the Senate unless something changes dramatically. In Mitch McConnell's mind, his job is to get through that and not uh, not allow many uh, Republicans to uh, vote in favor of conviction. He's also thinking about vulnerable members like Cory Gardner uh, and beyond that, Tom Tillis, Uh, other seats that he doesn't want to put in a vulnerable place. He doesn't want to have to spend money on them. He doesn't want them to become vulnerable through this process. And it becomes harder for senators because their districts are their states and they're much more diverse than these House districts. So it's more likely they could be hurt by a long circus trial. And just to explain the math that you're doing there in terms of they're not going to lose 20 uh, Republicans, Republicans control the Senate, 53 votes to to 47 votes. You need a two thirds majority to remove a president from office meaning you need 67 votes. Uh, So it's not just a matter of picking off uh, Susan Collins uh, and Cory Gardner. You need a big big swath. I would would say that the gulf between uh, the White House and the Senate in terms of what they want the trial to look like isn't as, I don't think it's as wide as as, as people think. I think they're pretty simpatico and uh, and you're going to see a pretty quick up and down. Uh, I would be surprised if it goes more than two and weeks. I don't think the Democrats no, have Chuck that Schumer, much of no. an interest in in a long trial either. So I, the, weirdly, there's no seem to be a sort of coming together. You know, they know they know Donald Trump is not going to get convicted in this trial. What good does it do Chuck Schumer to have a long trial that's going to end in failure for his side? I, I just I, I think there is a weird convergence of, of interests of all three parties. Mm-hmm. Everyone stick around. Any minute, the House Judiciary Committee could start up the debate on the two articles of impeachment against President Donald J. Trump. Stick around. We'll bring that right to you. Stay with us. Members of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, having just voted, are starting to return to the hearing room right now. They're going to continue debating the two articles of impeachment against President Trump, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Uh, John King, let me start with you. Uh, How good a case do you think Democrats have made for these two articles of impeachment? Have they made the case I'm not saying you have to agree with it or not, but to a to a skeptical independent that the president abused his power and that he has obstructed Congress uh, by not cooperating with the investigators. If you have tracked along through the Intelligence Committee hearings and the public testimony and then the articles of impeachment now and here, I would answer yes. That does not mean it's impeachable. That's that's a separate argument. And you have to be a member of the House and that's your vote. You get to vote that. Have the Democrats made a case that the president used his official powers, withheld a White House meeting and withheld military military aid in exchange for political favors that benefited him personally that had zip to do with national security? Yes, they have. 
Uh, have they made a case that they have issued, if you accept Congress as a co-equal branch of government, that they issued subpoenas in a constitutional obligation or responsibility of the House, impeachment, and the president said no, absolutely no, didn't give them witnesses, give them, yes, that's all well documented. Those facts are actually not in dispute. Uh, the question is, you know, it, can, can they make the argument, especially with an election 11 months from now, that the president should be removed for this. So the factual argument of the Democrats is a pretty solid case. Uh, the political argument, should a president be removed? That is why I think we have seen sort of a stagnation of public opinion that makes it hard for the Democrats. Now, they believe they have, they, the Democrats who say, we have to do this, we must do this, we don't care about the politics, that's one thing. It's, oh. no, it's, a, it's a solid case uh. for people who are really interested in learning the actual facts. Uh. And, and have the time uh. to do well, so. Well, and have the time. But are, are not interested in hearing what they want to hear, which is the, the problem, increasing problem with our country and with society and with the, you know, the media. And we can, you know, talk about this for, for 50, you know, 50 years about the, you know, how, how things have changed. But it is played out in such a stark way during this whole process that what John just described about what the Democrats are presenting in a world of. Um, you know, where, where people are open to hearing arguments that don't comport with how they want things to, to go, meaning Republicans don't want this president to be impeached or don't want to hear that the president did anything wrong. And that is the, the core issue. They're they're talking past each other and the people out there who could be persuaded are not persuadable because they don't want to listen or they're they're listening to people and, and media outlets telling them things that they want to hear. Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the committee, Democrat of New York, just walked back into the hearing room. So we're expecting him to gavel it back into proceedings uh, any minute. Uh, but uh, Laura Coates, let me ask you the same question. Uh, how, how solid a case do you think the Democrats have made, uh, not just to people who are paying attention to every word, not just to people who are political junkies or invested one way or another in the outcome, but just to the average American out there, how much do you think they're hearing what happened and actually uh, are upset by it? With respect to the second article of impeachment, they received nothing in return for congressional subpoenas. That is clear. You can check in for one half a second, and that's very clear to the American people. Whether you think that's enough to impeach is a different story. On the first part, it takes a little bit more of an intellectual exercise and also requires you, on an abuse of power, to look at context. And I think you have a losing argument trying to persuade the American public if this is a the straw that broke the camel's back argument. Because the American people want to know in an election year why this instance, why now? And relying on context relies you, requires you to do what? Go back to the Mueller probe, which did not have the benefit of witnesses like a Ambassador Yovanovitch or a Dr. Fiona Hill or Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Vindman, who were able to give a face to the actual allegations there. All they had was Robert Mueller, who, um, without without a doubt, did not prevent, present the most exciting, energetic, charismatic of, of cases. And so when you have that, I think you have to think, worry as, as the American public about, well, what would be the motivation for members of Congress to say it's okay for the president of the United States to ignore subpoenas if the president of the United States is the head of the very branch of government whose job it is to exercise and enforce the laws? That's the real clear issue. To me, it's never been about whether the case has been made. It's about whether or not Congress is allowing people to believe this is the time now. Uh, 
I'm not a believer that the Mueller, in, incorporating Mueller in the articles or arguing it more would have actually changed the public view. Because if you look at the change in polling, it all shifted around the time of when we saw the whistleblower report, uh, when we saw the transcript, and that was talked about. It was very simple. And actually, 70% of the public in many polls thinks the president did something wrong. It doesn't mean they think he should be removed and impeached, but they don't like what they see. And Democrats are looking at the... Nadler's uh, reconvening. Let's listen in. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 